Amen. My message today is uh, going to be taken from uh, the Sermon on the Mount, from uh, Matthew chapter 5 through 7. The title this morning is Time for a Spiritual Checkup. Time for a Spiritual Checkup. And it's be, it's, we're going to be going through Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. This, of course, is uh, at the end of uh, Jesus' uh, Sermon on the Mount. The Lord gave me this passage to preach on a while back. And as I went through it, I began to think, Lord, I was looking at it as uh, this was more of an evangelistic uh, message to those who don't know Jesus. And I thought, Lord, everybody in our church uh, knows Christ. Uh, so I began to look at other passages of scripture and, and try to preach from there. <laughs> I sensed in my heart the Lord said, no, I want you to preach on Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. So that's what we're going to be going through. Matthew chapter 7, 13 through 27. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Um, so praise God. Why don't we go ahead and bow in prayer? Lord, please cause us to look at our lives differently than we do right now and decide to play an active part uh, in the body of Christ to lead people to Jesus and to build others up in the body of Christ. I pray that we here in the church would uh, decide to do that. In your name I pray, amen. As you recall, uh, before we go to the Sermon on the Mount, look at what happened in chapter four of Matthew. That was a time when Jesus successfully passed the test of being uh, tempted by the devil. And so he leaves from there and uh, he begins to head toward uh, Galilee. He hears the news that uh, John the Baptist was put into prison. And I thought, why would that be there? Why would that be mentioned that John the Baptist was put into prison? Well, probably for timing that we would have an understanding of the events that took place. When Jesus uh, finished being tempted by the devil, that was around the time John the Baptist was uh, put into prison. But then also, why was John the Baptist put into prison? Well, we find that out if you look at Matthew chapter 14, 1 through 12. You see that uh, John was put into prison before speaking up against what uh, Herod Antipatus, uh, the Tetrarch, he was a ruler of Galilee, what he was doing. Now, mind you, this is a ruler. This is like a king. And John the Baptist felt the need to tell him what he was doing. He tells, he tells Herod, it's not lawful for you to take her. 
And so Herod and his wife Herodias' family structure was all messed up. They both were in an incestuous relationship with one another, and uh, John the Baptist told him that was wrong. Well, as a result, John the Baptist was put into prison, and eventually he was killed and got his head cut off. Now, we can look at that and say, was that worth it? He, got a, he, he died. He got killed. He was killed for speaking up. But if we were to look at that with forever eyes, we would see that this was very needful. Because John the Baptist, having loved God and actually had a heart for Herod and his wife Herodias, he was willing to speak up and share truth so that in the event that hopefully they would see their sins, they, they would come face to face with what they were doing and repent. Well, that didn't happen. Instead, they decided to uh, snuff him out. They don't want to hear any more about what we're doing, so they killed him. And so the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 27, verses 5 and 6, it says that their open rebuke is better than love carefully concealed. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but the kisses of an enemy are deceit. So again, John wanted to expose their sin in hopes that they would repent of their sin. How about you, Chicagoland? Do you know Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord? And also, for those who know Jesus Christ as your Savior and Lord, have you, has God put you in situations where you needed to speak up, share the truth to, to someone else in your family or friends, and you did not do it? Why did you not do it? Was it because you were afraid? Well, welcome to the crowd. All of us are afraid to some point sharing truth. We don't want to hurt other people's feelings, right? We don't want to seem foolish. On the other hand, is it that we do not share truth with others because we ourselves are in sin? And because of guilt, we don't share. Well, Jesus tells us that in, well, in Luke chapter 7, verse 28, it says, For I say to you, among those born of women, there is not a greater prophet than John the Baptist. John the Baptist, uh, I guess he kind of looked kind of weird. He wore strange clothes. It wasn't up to date. He ate locusts and wild honey, and he lived out in the out in the wilderness there, kind of strange. But Chicagoland, for all eternity, he is going to be, he is exalted as the greatest prophet for obeying God, for doing what he's supposed to do, even though he's crazy, even though he looked crazy. He was an individual, he was himself. And as a result, he was, God uh, exalted him. And we have that opportunity to do that 
to go beyond our fears and all that's there, to see the needs of people, go beyond ourselves and meet the need, share. Yes, be wise. We, we don't want to be you know, insensitive, all that. All that takes wisdom and prayer. But share. Share it. They might come to Christ. And then again, they might hate you. So, Chicagoland, if this is you, you know what to do. Just confess where you're at. Repent. Then get back up, get back into the game, and start all over again. Keep doing it as you get better at it. Well, going back to Matthew 4, after Jesus heard that John the Baptist was put into prison, he leaves from there and he goes to Galilee. He approaches the seashore and he's walking and he sees two brothers, Simon Peter and his brother Andrew. And see, they were fishermen. And they were casting their, their nets into the sea, and Jesus walks up to them and says, follow me. Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. The Bible says that they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, man, have you ever pondered that? Now, they have never seen the physical Jesus in their life, and they listened to him, and they, and, they, and they follow him. How can that be? Unlike the other disciple, what Jesus talks about in Matthew 8, where it says, then another of his disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. But Jesus said to him, follow me and let the dead bury their dead. Now these two guys immediately left what they were about to do and followed Jesus. But again, how could they do that? How could they respond to seemingly a supposed stranger? Well, John chapter 10, verse 27 says this. But my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. So what is God saying to you, Chicagoland? Follow me? Or is he saying, up to this point, you've been ignoring me. Okay, stop it and follow me. Follow me. After meeting Simon Peter, <clears throat> uh, Jesus goes on from there to meet you know, another group of uh, people, brothers, James and his brother John. Jesus tells them to follow me. And it's the same thing. Immediately, they left their boat and their dad, uh, Zebedee, from the boat. They left and followed, followed Jesus. Isn't that, isn't that something? Must be a message with that, huh? Follow me. So Jesus travels to Galilee from there. And uh, it says there that Jesus went to all their synagogues in Galilee, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing all kinds of diseases among the people. Then his fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments, and those who were demon-possessed, 
epileptics and paralytics, and they all um, uh, were healed. And great multitudes followed him from Galilee and from Decapolis, from Jerusalem, Judea, and beyond the Jordan. So that's what comprised the multitude of people that Jesus talks about in Matthew 5 through 7. These were broken people. These were people who saw their sins and they heard Jesus' words. They also uh, were touched by Jesus. Jesus just loved on them, met them where they were at, and shared the gospel with them. And so they all followed Jesus, including the religious leaders. The religious leaders were there too. And I thought about that. Those religious leaders were there initially to, uh, probably out of curiosity. You know, what is this Jesus all about? I know for sure uh, later on that curiosity turned into uh, jealousy and hatred. But for, for right now, it was they were curious. They were there in the crowds too, and Jesus is talking to them as well. So Jesus talks about things uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, like uh, how you can really have a relationship with God. Unlike what they've heard from the religious leaders, now you might have to understand too, that's all the people heard about the things of God was through the religious leaders. Now here comes Jesus, and he, his message is much different than what the Pharisees were, were prescribing. His was, he shared out of, out of uh, authority. And like he, it was different. Like this was really coming from God, which it was. And so he shows the people how to have a relationship with God, uh, you know, and how to follow him, you know, uh, how to please God and not by trying to show off as they saw the religious leaders. Maybe they didn't recognize that as, being, as showing off, but Jesus showed them, no, you don't want to go about it that way. When you pray, you pray in secret to your Father. When you, when you uh, fast, do it so nobody else can see. See, the religious leaders, they were not like that. They fasted, and they showed themselves to be fasting for a long time so that they can get praise from people. But that's not what Jesus was talking about. It was different. And Jesus tells them in Matthew 5 20, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will not enter in the kingdom of heaven. Now imagine hearing that for the first time. If you had a heart for God, that would really grip you, I would think. That would really cause you to, to panic. Well, well if I can't make it, if, if the Pharisees are much holier than me, and if, and if I can't make that, then where am I? I'm just toast. Well, that's exactly where God wanted people to be, so that they would see that it's not, they can't do it in and of themselves. He also wanted to show the Pharisees. That's not the way to heaven either. See, in other words, unless you fulfill the laws of God perfectly, you cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. Who can do that? Nobody can. All right? Unless you perfectly fulfill all the laws, then you can't do that. 
So you need Jesus. You need Jesus to have eternal life. You need Jesus to make you righteous and holy. He would share those things later. But he brought it in such a way where people began to see, I'm, I'm messed up. I can't do it. That's exactly where he wanted them to be. Right. You can't do it. You have to come to me. Amen? So that is background to the message for today. Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 through 27. And this is the end, again, of the Sermon of the Mount. And it, this is where, this is the application part from all that Jesus was teaching the, uh, the crowds of people at that time. And so my outline is this, Chicagoan. Number one, you must choose your own destiny. Number one, you must choose your own destiny, verses 13 through 14. Number two, be careful who you believe. Again, number two, be careful who you believe, verses 15 through 20. Number three, there is only one way to the kingdom. There is only one way to the kingdom, verses 21 through 23. And finally, Number four, the parable of the two builders. Parable of the two builders, verses 24 through 27. And Jesus is a masterful communicator. And man, he was, he, was, he was bringing it on to those people and to us as well. He knows how to do it because he's God. Well, number one, you must choose your own destiny. The Bible says in verses 13 through 14, Enter into the narrow gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction. And there are many who go in by it, because narrow is the gate, and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who even find it, few who even find it. Okay, so we look at that, we see there are two gates, the narrow gate and the wide gate. There are two ways, the broad way and the, and the narrow way. Two destinations, the broad way that leads to destruction. That's the pathway where many will go in by. And the narrow way, that way will lead to, that way will, will be a difficult way and there's only a few that even find that way. The Bible says in Proverbs 14:12, there is a way that seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Looking at the surface, there are two gates that you can go through. The narrow gate and the wide gate seem to provide the entrance to the kingdom of God. Two ways are offered to people, but only one would get you to heaven. The narrow gate is by faith, only through Jesus Christ. That way is uh, constricted and precise. It represents true salvation only in Jesus Christ, the Lord. This is God's way into eternal life. The wide gate 
includes any religion that denies Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross for our sins. It includes all the ways that people think will get them into heaven, like being nice without Christ, you know, being good, being a good person, giving things, etc. Anything that really puts the focus on works and self-righteousness and not on Jesus Christ. That's the way to lead, that's the way to lead people to the lake of fire, not heaven. The Bible says in Acts chapter 4, 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Pray that we all remember that. There is no other name given to men whereby we must be saved. Only Jesus Christ. That's pretty simple. It's only Jesus Christ. Amen? So verse 14, the way is narrow and difficult. Jesus Christ continually emphasizes how difficult it is to follow him. We just talked about, the pastor just brought that up today and also last week. Luke chapter uh, 9, verse 23. Then he said to them, he said to them all, his, his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. The cross to, was a picture to the disciples of a violent, degrading death. Jesus was demanding total commitment to his disciples and to us. Uh, John 15, verses 18 through 19 says this, if the world hates you, you know that it hates me before it hates you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. The world hated Jesus because Jesus exposed sin. That doesn't bode well with people who are self-righteous, wicked, don't want to confess or repent sin, don't want to submit themselves to God, now, Jesus' Jesus's Sermon on the Mount, he shows people the truth on how to really connect with God, what God is really like and what he requires. He also cares about the religious leaders as well, exposing their motives that they might see themselves for who they really are and humbly repent. Jesus, out of love and concern, uh, does that. With people. See, it's better, it's better to face humiliation now on this side of heaven and to face your sins wherever you are, whatever position you are, to face it, confess it, and get right with God than to be on the other side where it's too late. You cannot repent. It's too late. You cannot change. You're stuck in your sin forever. Amen? So he exposes the religious leaders to warn others that what they were doing, and he also gives them an opportunity to face themselves and repent. 
How about you, Chicagoland? You who know Jesus Christ as Savior, let him truly, let him be Lord of your life. Let him point out sin in your life, sins in your life, that you might confess them and repent. Also, be, be a person that actively shares your faith to somebody else. I'm sure we, we see people who we know don't know Jesus. Don't let, that, don't let that pass you by. Don't let that pass us by, me included. Allow the Lord to prompt you to share something to people who don't know Jesus. Remember, if they die in their sins, it's forever. Amen. Number two, be careful who you believe. Jesus says, beware of the false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravenous wolves. You'll know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from, their thorn, from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, or their actions, you will know them. So this is saying, as we look at uh, our spiritual checkup, look at what kind of fruit, Chicago land, you are producing. Is it good fruit or is it bad fruit? Are you producing strife? Are you producing bitterness, anger? Are you producing selfishness? Is what you're producing in keeping with the will of God or not? If it's not, confess that and repent. Turn around. Stop doing that. Also, this passage focuses on the frost prophets. They usually don't come looking like ravenous, vicious wolves. They come pretending to be good shepherds. That's tragic, isn't it? Because they, they come and people put their trust in these guys. And they wind up hurting people, misleading people. I remember pastor sharing a while back, he knew of a guy who either went to Moody or graduated from Moody, and his desire, believe it or not, was to fleece the church. His desire was to fleece the church. So in other words, what he wanted to do was take advantage of the church. He, he was after hurting people. He was after getting what he could get. Ooh. Did he think God wasn't checking that out? And, he had, and I'm sure God had a plan for him. I hope that the man repented. But what a terrible thing that would be if he proceeded with that. Yeah, he may have gotten away with some things in this life, perhaps but he's gonna to have to meet God about that behavior. Ooh, let me stand back. 
as God takes care of that brother or that person. Amen? And I have to say, looking back in my life, I was at a crossroads back in the mid-70s. Um, I was a very insecure guy. I really didn't know who I was. Oh, I wouldn't have told you that. But really, deep inside, I didn't know. I was what you would call lost and empty. You know, I, my thing was, who could I really anchor, who or what could I really anchor my identity to that would be solid, that would not change? I was trying to find absolute truth back then. God just, I didn't know that, but God put that on my heart. And I, it, was, it, just, it was eating me up. That was very important to me. And back in 1976, uh, I was in the process of being recruited to join the Church of Scientology. And uh, they told me that they had an answer to my struggle with my identity. So I went along with believing them and until I came to grips with their slogan. Their slogan said this, only the truth in Scientology will set you free. But that didn't sound right to me. You know, it really didn't sound right to me. I valued the things of God because from a child, I was very interested. God, I think God put that in my heart. I was very interested in what's going to happen to me when I die. I was a little boy, interested in that. <laughs> what was going to happen to me when I die? You know, uh, and I observed my grandmother. Uh, we called her Nana. That was my dad's mom, Nana. Uh, she read the Bible often. And I remember seeing my dad. Uh, he would be in the breakfast room in our house, and he would pray every morning before he went to work. I always saw him kneeling down and praying every day before he went to work. And so I had a context of God, but I just didn't know how to reach him. And uh, later, on, later on, I came to realize that the Scientology slogan was really a misquote from the Bible which is found in John chapter 8, verses 31 32, which says this. So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, if you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Now that's the truth. And so they, the, the people in Scientology, were really trying to get me to join their staff, and to buy more of their books, and to go to all their seminars. Well, that was going to cost me a lot of money, you know? And so um, if I would have continued to follow along with the Church of Scientology, y'all, I would have never come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior and Lord. So I was on my way to eternal fire, to eternal damnation. But... Praise the Lord. Thankfully, I began to see their baloney, and I got out of there. Ask yourself the questions, Chicagoland. Are there things I'm believing that are contrary to the word of God? Ask yourself that question, really. Are there things that you're believing, that, I, that you're believing, that are really contrary to the things of God?
Number two, do I have opinions and preferences that are really not in keeping with truth from God's word? Do I have, do I have opinions and preferences that are really not in keeping with truth from God's word? Remember Galatians chapter 5, 9, where it says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. A little bit of error is still error. Amen? So what I'm saying to you is that the absolute measuring stick to, uh, is God's word. So compare everything that we hear and everything that we believe to what does the Bible say. Amen? What does scripture say? Let that determine what is truth and what is error. Amen? Amen. So number three, on, the only way to the kingdom, the only way to the kingdom, verses 21 through 23, Jesus says, enter everyone, uh, excuse me, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I'll declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice Lawlessness. Man, how chilling. <laughs> oh, how chilling. Jesus is addressing everyone in the multitudes. Again, I say this, including the Pharisees and the Sadducees. He had a heart for them. He knew that they didn't know him as Savior and Lord. And he, he wasn't just calling them out. He was also yeah, he was also calling them out that they would face themselves. If you're really interested in eternal life, then listen to what I'm saying, Jesus says. Amen? Imagine, Chicagoland, you facing God, thinking that you're going to be with him forever. And he says, depart from me. I never knew you. Whoa. Talk about mistake. But the thing about that mistake is it's eternal. So Chicagoland, though everybody who listens, because I assume that everybody knows Jesus, but God is saying to me, don't assume that. Everybody in this church may not know Jesus as Savior and Lord. And so understand something. It's better to be embarrassed now and to face your sin and confess Christ now than to mess around and die in your sins, and then it's too late. You think you're a Christian. You go to God, and he says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Oh, that's chilling. That breaks my heart, you all, to think that people could be deceived. It makes me think, Lord, am I OK? Yeah, you're okay, Doug. Whew. <laughs> Amen? But it gives real motivation to share our faith with others. Amen? That loved one that you see, do you love them enough to risk 
them uh, not liking you or being upset with you, that you share the truth with them, that they repent. I did that with my family, and praise the Lord, all of them are believers. It's not that I shared Christ with everybody, but I guess the news got around. And everybody is born again, just about everybody. There's still a few people that are teetering, but that's amazing. That's amazing, you all. That really is. Praise the Lord. So it reminds me of the ten virgins. Remember the ten virgins in Matthew 25, verses 1 and 13? There were ten virgins. Five were wise. Five were not wise. And here's the thing. They all knew what they were supposed to do. They knew that the bridegroom was coming one day. They knew that they had their lantern and they needed oil to, uh, for the lantern to light it up so they could see the bridegroom and come in. Everybody knew that. The wise prepared at the proper time. They got their lantern and they got the oil. The foolish, what did the foolish do? They delayed. They said, ah, we don't need to do that now. That's a message to all those of us who delay. Stop doing that. They delayed. They said, no, nah, we don't need to do that now. And they dilly-dallied. And here's the thing. Uh, the, the story there, the bridegroom delayed his coming, just like it seems like Jesus is doing here. We all say that these are the last days, and they truly are. Jesus could come in any time. But the story here is parallel. The bridegroom delayed his coming, which was out of kindness, giving people a chance to get it together. And those foolish virgins did not do it. They did not take advantage of the time. They still dilly-dallied. And guess what? One day, the bridegroom did come. And the ones who were prepared did enter into the doorway. And so when the foolish saw the bridegroom coming, they said, hey, give us, a, they, told, they asked the, the, the wise, give us some of your oil so that we can uh, have some oil. They said, no, not so. If I give you some of my oil, I'm not going to have enough for me. Go out and buy for yourself. So they go out and buy for themselves. But Chicagoland, that was the wrong time. It's too late. As they're going buying for themselves, everybody's walking in uh, to meet the bridegroom. And it said there, the door was shut, which indicates finality. It was never to be opened again. So the foolish come back with their oil. Nobody is around. They go to the door, knock. Hey, let us in, let us in, Lord, Lord, let us in. And the Lord tells them, I never knew you. Depart from me. Oh, see again, Jesus is telling people this, this side of eternity so that we can feel the gripping of that, feel the importance of that, and do something about that. He says that to us to give us motivation to share our faith to people who don't know Jesus. Tell it to them with more power. Tell it with conviction that you, you can't afford to not accept Christ in this life. Do you want to die in your sins? Amen. Amen. 
So don't let that happen to you, Chicagoland. Don't let that happen to you. Those who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, if I'm speaking to somebody here, or if God is speaking to somebody here today that you don't know Jesus, make it your business now to accept Christ as Savior and Lord. Come to me after the service and let's, let's talk about that. Don't let that, I don't care if you're a young boy or an old person, you confess your sins to Jesus Christ and come to God. God desires that nobody perishes, but all come to faith in him. Number four, the last one, the parable of the two builders, where it says in verse 24 through 27, therefore, whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who builds his house on a rock. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it did not fall, for it was founded on the rock. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who builds his house on the sand. And the rains descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat on that house, and it fell. And great was the fall. The house represents our precious lives. That beautiful house represents beautiful people. The foundation represents what do you believe? Do you believe the rock of solid footing in Jesus Christ, the Bible? in the word of God, that cannot lie. It's impossible for God to lie, it says in, uh, in uh, Hebrews 6.18. It is impossible for God to lie. Praise the Lord. Amen. Amen is right. Are you believing the solid rock of God, or are you believing anything else but God? That is sand foundation. And your beautiful house will fall one day. One day when you die in your sins, you will be eternally lost forever. That is not the will of God for anybody, but that is our choice. Amen? Amen. And so, in closing, James tells us again, James 1, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourself. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man observing his natural face in a mirror. For he observes himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of man he, he was. But he who looks into the perfect law of liberty and continues in it, and is, not, and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer of the, word, of the work, this one will be blessed in what he does. Are you hearing God, Chicagoland? Well, at this time, I'd like for everyone to close their eyes and bow their heads. I pray this to be a very intimate and personal, personal time, personal time between you and God.
And the message is this, for those who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, for those of us who know Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, understand something. Number one, do you love God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might? Jesus tells Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Feed my sheep. Chicagoland, do you love God? Feed God's sheep. This isn't, this isn't for, not only for the preacher or the, or the pastor of churches. This is for all the body of Christ. Do you love God? Then, then, then feed people. Share truth with everyone. Amen? Number two. Believers in Christ, follow Jesus. Follow Jesus Christ. Follow him. Amen? And are there things in your life that you are believing that are contrary to God's word? Stop it. Confess it. Turn away from it and follow Jesus Christ. Amen? Number three. Let's all learn to obey God, God's promptings the first time. Let's all believe, let's all fo focus on obeying God's promptings the first time. And lastly, for us as believers, let's recommit our lives to Christ in that let's, let's, let's be active participants in the body of Christ. Let's, let's share our faith with people on a more regular basis. Share our faith with people. And also, let's learn our spiritual gifts that we may be more effective in the body of Christ and also building up the body. Those things let us do. For those who don't know Jesus as Savior and Lord, uh, I would like for you to do this. Four things. Number one, admit you are a sinner. Admit that you are a sinner. Number two, be willing to turn away from your sin. Number three, believe that Jesus Christ died for you. He paid the penalty for your sins. He took your place on the cross. Remember this, that uh, in uh, uh, Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10, says, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For the heart, one believes into righteousness, and with the mouth, confession is made until salvation. Amen. And number four, through prayer, invite Jesus Christ, the Lord, to come into your, your life. Uh, the Bible says in Romans uh, 10, verse 13, for whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Okay, so, so for those who don't know Christ yet, Pray this prayer with me. Say something like this. Dear God, I am a sinner and I need forgiveness. I believe that you, Jesus, shed, shed your, your precious blood and died for my sin. I'm willing to turn from sin. And I now invite you, Jesus, to come into my heart and life and be my personal Savior forever and ever. Amen. And amen, that's the end of the message, Chicago Wynn.
Thank you very much.